everyone. Welcome back to Real Talk Podcast. Today we have a really fun episode. I am actually joined by my wife, Kelly, on the podcast because Lucas didn't want to be part of this conversation, which will become evident uh, why fairly shortly. <laughs> um, yeah, I, maybe Kelly can introduce herself just a little bit and then uh, we can you know, introduce our guest. Hi. Um, yeah, so I'm Kelly. Um, Tyler's wife. We've been married for almost six years. Um, we have two little boys. One's about two and a half and the other one is almost a year old. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm a stay-at-home mom and yep. that's pretty but, much all you need to know about me. <laughs> but Kelly was a hairdresser, so she's good at lighthearted chit-chat. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> she, she'll just blend right into this, this podcast and uh, fill Lucas's shoes. So um, yeah, so let's introduce our guest. Uh, we have Sarah Hutton on today. Um, who wrote a wonderful book, Unmet Expectations. Um, I was just going to read the cover of this, my new copy of this. Um, maybe I'll show the camera too in case people are like watching this. Um, the subtitle, I guess, is Facing Unmet Expectations in the Pursuit of Children and Learning How to Better Prepare Those Ready to Walk This Journey. So we're talking about um, raising a family and and how people go about starting a family and the journey that that entails. So Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank and, you. Uh, maybe you can introduce yourself a little bit and like, sure. um, you know, where you grew up and yeah. kind of your story up to starting to write the book. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm Sarah and I've been married to John for nine years now and we have a son and he's five and a half now. Uh, I kind of grew up Dunville, St. Catharines area and mm -hmm. we live in the Niagara region. Okay. So that's home. Niagara region is home. Okay. And yeah, I grew up in the Reformed Church and yeah, everything that comes with that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's all right. Yeah, yeah. no, that's the same with us. So yeah, definitely background we're all familiar with. So. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of people can relate to that. That's good. Then you can, you know, speak into our community, you know, quite a bit. So mm -hmm. that's good. Um, so just maybe you can briefly outline the book and like maybe just like why you wanted mm -hmm. to write it and, uh, you know, maybe some like just general overarching like yes. you know the theme you're going for yeah so basically this book um came out of mine and my husband's personal experience in pursuing children so going from that desire for children to uh yeah actively pursuing it and <clears throat> the choice for the word pursuit is is on purpose because it's a really active thing when mm -hmm. especially when it doesn't happen for you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um we faced, well, for us, it felt like we faced kind of a hit in a lot of different areas in this pursuit from trying to conceive when we were pregnant and down through what feels like mm -hmm. the history of these, uh, yeah, wanting children. So having gone through um, something so pivotal in our life and it was, so I'll speak just for myself. It was something my husband and I went through together, but mm. Uh, in the book, also, I speak just from my own perspective as like a Christian woman, um, but going through something that had changed me so drastically and was so pivotal in my life, I really wanted to remember it, mm. it and remember mm -hmm. what we had gone through because it was so, yeah, it was part of my identity now. Mm -hmm. right. So I yeah. started writing it down and... Um, just a little side note, also, ever since I was a young girl, I've always wanted to write a book. So oh, okay. that <laughs> desire to write was always there. Right. Um, and it just came out in this because of these events. Mm. So I kind of started writing it out for myself 
And as I started to write, it kind of came pouring out of me. And there were these themes that I could see coming out. And I started to feel this calling to, yeah, not just write for myself, but to hopefully write for the Christian community Hmm. um, and specifically to the women in that community. So that's kind of what brought the book about. Um, Because a lot of people ask me that, like, why'd you write a book? Like, (laughs) I'm not an expert writer. I didn't even go to university for anything like that. Um, Nor am I an expert in what I write about. It's just my experiences that are kind of behind why I wrote it. Um, So the book itself is divided into two parts. So part one is um, mine and my husband's story. And it kind of goes in and out of what we were experiencing and then back to the reader, um, how kind of what we learned and we're learning along the way, um, how that can help the reader come alongside someone else mm. or challenge them in maybe their perceptions of, yeah, this longing for children and what's all involved in it. So it kind of does this in and out throughout our story and that, um, Each chapter is a separate section of our story, whether that was our infertility or, yeah, our pregnancy uh, that was turned scary, the dramatic birth of our son. It just Mm -hmm. kind of feels uh, like the hits kept coming. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the second part is called The Other Perspective. And I reached out to five other people who I had also seen experience yeah, a different version of the story mm-hmm. than, mm-hmm. than we mm-hmm. see com we see more common. Yeah. Um, and I basically I said to them, "Hey, I'm writing this book. Um, I'm talking about how we go into this hoping and kind of expecting a certain outcome, but things God called us to something different. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like this is something that your story aligns with?" Um, and yeah, we were able to come out with five. Um, different perspectives and these, those perspectives are written in their words. Mm -hmm. So I didn't interview them and write for them. Mm -hmm. They wrote it themselves. So it could be the truest version of their story Mm because they're such delicate stories. Yeah. 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 It's just such a vulnerable part of your life and to share it publicly is, it's a really tender thing. Mm -hmm. So that was definitely um, something new, like to maneuver that was challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, So the five perspectives are, the husband's perspective. So my husband is one of the writers there and he actually zeroes in on the birth story of our son mm-hmm. and how that was affecting him and his relationship with God and how he was kind of questioning like what was happening mm-hmm. um, and the things that he had kind of longed for through that. And then the other four perspectives are there's a miscarriage perspective. There is um, one called the hyperemesis perspective. That one actually spans across a few topics a few topics she has a miscarriage in it too yeah. right yeah so yeah and they have infertility and mm-hmm. it also speaks on pregnancy after miscarriage right and how that is its own journey yeah and that's itself. a big movement too pregnancy after loss it's definitely becoming more talked about mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and then there is the biological perspective And that is someone um, who was never able to give birth to their own biological children Mm. and some of the losses and um, yeah, some of the the trials that come with that. And then the last perspective is, is kind of unique that it doesn't share as much about what they physically went through. It's more of a focus on 
So this person had secondary infertility mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they, now that they live, they're living with this in a community that is where you're surrounded by families with children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is that like? And there's never, at least in the five years since having our son, there's never been very many opportunities to kind of talk about what you're really feeling, mm-hmm. especially with people who have kids, because you want to rejoice with them and what God has, you know, brought to their life. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but for this to be a space for there to be some honesty about the types of things that are hard, it, I was really excited for that perspective. So that's very quick yeah, that's, overview of what's in the book. <laughs> no, that's good. Yeah. So is, well, why did you write it for the Christian community in particular? And then mm-hmm. and do you, is it something that you think our churches need specifically? I think you talked to it a little bit, but um, like, is this something we need to improve on? Yeah, I guess it was, I wanted to write it, um, you know, not only for the reformed community, but more inclusively for like spanning across all Christians. Um, Because even in some of our friends that aren't part of the reformed churches in sharing this message, they, they were excited and they, they were um, yeah eager to learn about it more as well. Um, And I think, so as, as Christian community, we are very good and I'm so thankful that we're so good at hoping in the Lord and being joyful together and the good things that he brings us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that sometimes there's this fear of not seeming thankful enough when we talk about the things that are hard mm-hmm. and that the, you don't need to pick one or the other. You can be thankful for where God is bringing you and for what someone else has been given while also seeking that support and saying, hey, this is hard for me. This has been a challenge for us. We're really struggling through this. And as my friend or as our family, this is where you actually we could use some support or some Mm -hmm. just extra thoughtfulness. Um, And I think, too, specific now to um, the community that I find myself in, it's a a Dutch reformed church mm-hmm. and there is a personality to our churches that is cultural to that Dutch immigrant, um, mm. yeah, personality. Yep. Um, and that personality that was cultural has become the personality of our churches in some cases. Mm. And, um, part of that is some stoicism. Things are kept very private, especially about a woman's body. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. marriages are viewed as, very sacred as they should be. But um, I don't know that we have found the balance in viewing our marriages as sacred while also letting go of our privacy for the sake of seeking help. And I think those Mm. are some of the challenges that our church communities are facing as we, people are needing help Mm -hmm. in the areas Mm -hmm. of infertility and miscarriage and um, yeah, desiring children and communities that are filled with children. It's such a complex thing to try to maneuver yeah it's interesting i hadn't thought about like our communities being like full of children like that because yeah i mean i guess like statistically we have way more kids in our Mm -hmm. communities than you know other communities do Mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting i'm yeah so i mean unless you have something else i you know we can jump into the what is the unmet expectation of it all and and how does that like i mean that's what the title is and um I guess like that there's a whole bunch that that theme kind of works all the way through the book. So Kelly and I had a chance to read it, which was great um, before it even, you know, 
hits the shelves. So, yeah. um, <laughs> very priv- privileged, but, um, yeah, maybe you can talk to that theme, like mm-hmm. the, how it works through, but also like, um, to like an unmarried couple or like a, a newly married couple who's looking like at the beginning of this pursuit for children, you know, how does this, you know, this really affect them or, you know, what advice do you have for them? Yeah. I think, um, even if, so if we want to look at the, let's look at five examples of where people were barren or, um, had infertility, even in the Bible, four Mm. of those examples, they all end up having children Mm -hmm. later Mm. in the story. And that, especially when I was going through, it was something that was really hard to kind of swallow and accept because, um, without the Bible ever promising or even God promising these things to us, we, I feel like there's this unspoken belief that, um, you know, those who are faithful will receive. It'll still happen eventually. Yeah. Yeah. If you really just believe or right with, 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 um, Elizabeth and Zachariah, like there was this, you know, true belief that needed to happen. Mm -hmm. And there was this waiting that needed to happen. And yeah. Hannah too. Like I just read it with, yeah. with um, my oldest for in, during breakfast devotions mm-hmm. today about Samuel. And it's like, yeah. And Hannah prayed and, and she had a baby and yeah, it's mm-hmm. like, isn't that amazing? And it is amazing. But yeah, again, she, she did have Samuel. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, mm-hmm. there's this, I don't know when it happens or how it happens. One of the, the biological perspective speaks on this as well, how it almost feels like children are promised in the Bible, mm-hmm. mm. but that's actually not a promise that God gives us. He tells us how he's honored by children and, you know, raising children, in the fear of his name glorifies him. Mm-hmm. And, and children mm-hmm. are a blessing. Like what Psalm 127. Like, yeah. Right. All mm-hmm. of those things. And we've translated that, you know, as we align it with what we want in our hearts for ourselves as, okay, well then this is something God's going to give us. Yeah. And he's given it to so many people that yeah. it, it's easy to kind of connect those dots, mm. but God never you know, no. made that connection. No. Yeah, right. So I think that's part of where, um, like even the cover it's, so the word expectations is surrounding unmet because I feel like I surrounded myself. I did it to myself with, mm. okay, so this is what happened for all the women in my life. That means it's going to happen for me. Yeah. Mm. Um, but God never promised that to me. No. Mm. So I think that's where we, fall into these expectations. Right. And I think for these young couples that are at the beginning of this journey and my, like this book is dedicated to those people. Mm-hmm. It's dedicated to the young women who are so excited. They just want to get married and yeah. have kids. Especially mm-hmm. if the women in their family never really seem to have a problem with it. Right. It's like yeah. they look at their mom and their grandma, sisters, whoever. Yeah. And everyone just seems have babies and it never seems to be a big deal it's just like oh we're gonna have a baby and it's all exciting and yeah i think the key word there is seems because Mm -hmm. i think it's the lack of even someone who has what we would say you know not a difficult time there were parts that were hard Mm -hmm. that aren't always shared and i think it's that you know coming across as it being easy when it Mm -hmm. maybe never really was because raising a child is really hard (laughs) and you know carrying a child in your womb is really hard and and longing for these things when they're not happening is really hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so these young couples that are just about to start this journey, they have this desire and they're deciding, okay, let's pursue this. I think something that can keep them grounded, and I know I never did, and I, having gone through 
what we've gone through can say this today. Mm. Um, like prayer is so powerful. And if we can really open our hearts to hear God's answer and just say, Lord, like, this is what we long for. And God even says in the Bible, we can remind him, you know, of his character and we can remind him of what he's taught us in scripture. You can say, Lord, you are honored by this. You're glorified by this, but please prepare us for what you have planned Mm -hmm. because there's so much um, that we can start to feel like we have control over that we don't have any control over. Mm -hmm. And especially if you go through infertility or fertility treatments, you realize just the intricacies of conception Mm. and how many things in your just environment of your body and your husband's body and need to be aligned in order. I know. I know. And it's not us. It's, you know, it's not the doctor saying like, now is the time. And Oh yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah, It's a miracle. Anyone. It's a, it's a miracle. And I think to be, to be grounded in, you know, being honest with God about what you want and asking for those things. Yes. But then also saying, prepare us for what you have. I think mm-hmm. if a couple can honestly be on their knees asking for that and saying that to God, there will be um, even more joy and even mm-hmm. more hope that mm-hmm. we already, like I was saying, you know, our community is so good at being joyful and hopeful. But if we don't expect it or we don't think that it's owed to us, that joy will just be exponential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true. I I'm, I wonder if it's like, I mean, we can get into like talking about like, I mean, there's a little bit of a difference between the, how, you know, we'll say a newly married man um, mm-hmm. thinks about a family and a newly married woman. Like, I mm-hmm. mean, I think there's a lot of expectation on, on a woman's part. A lot of time, like what you experienced was like, mm-hmm. was it, was like an expectation, but also like this, this hope and this joy and, and the excitement for that stage. Yeah. Well, and often it, it starts early, you know, like we're in the church nursery. So you're surrounded by kids yeah. and, and then yeah. you do your own babysitting. Right. So you're always thinking like, Oh, you know, like when I have my own kids and it's in our nature. Yeah. Right? Nurture. And, yeah. And even and like for myself, like I would not like I, my friends would know this, like I'm not a baby person, but even as that, even as someone who didn't like to babysit, mm. it's we're created that way. Yeah. Right. And it's because of how our bodies are created, whether you're when you're married, whether you're planning to not have children or planning to have children, there's something that physically needs to happen mm-hmm. around children at mm-hmm. all times because it's what our bodies were created to be able to do. Right. Yeah. yeah. And for men, it seems to be more like, I don't know, I, I, like reading your husband's perspective, too, he just barely touched on it, but it was more like and I wanted two or three kids or three or four kids. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's kind of more like. The way I felt, I think, going into like our marriage too, was like, yeah, I think you know, this many kids is, you know, that sounds like a fun family size. It's probably about it's all not, the thought that went into yeah, it. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's not like, you know, it's the, yeah. it's not like it comes from a nurturing place where you're like, but I can see myself caring for these, mm-hmm. these kids. And like, I've really mm-hmm. like experienced the, the journey of it. Like, mm-hmm. that's not really, I don't know. It just seems to be a little Which bit different. I think it's almost kind of a shame because when you choose as a couple to have children, you're, yeah, you're having them together. Mm. You're raising them together. You're on that journey together. And, um, as much as I can say, I wrote this book like for women the I think every chapter I wrote, I, I wanted to end with saying, this is for you too, you guys. Like, yeah. because, um, they also I see think, us going through it. Yeah. Too, right. And see how much we want something. And yeah. yeah. And mm. if you can understand, what your 
you know, your wife's body is going to be going through, what her heart could possibly have to be handling along the way in like talking mm. about that preparation for young women. I think it's also for young men so they can support properly mm-hmm. and yeah. it affects you as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like oh, when, yeah. when things go difficult, you know, that affected my husband's relationship with God. It affected mm-hmm. his, you know, he needed support. And, yeah. yeah. So as much as I, you know, I did write it for women cause I speak from a woman's perspective. I, this is a conversation that men need to be having yeah. together as well. Well, and for sure having it with like, as they head into uh, their marriage, having it with their, with their, you know, to be, you know, fiance or yeah. their wife or, you know, and, and uh, yeah, that whole openness of it. I'm curious how much of it is like, we don't talk about it much because we expect it to be, we, we've on one hand expect it to be easy. Like mm-hmm. we, we kind of expect kids to just show up. But on the other hand, we expect pregnancy to be difficult because we're told pregnancy is difficult and like there's pain in that. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like, well, there's a certain amount of like, you know, hardship you just have to swallow and you can't mm-hmm. like how much of that like goes back to the community where we just like, well, you know what? Like everyone's having a hard time. You know, mm-hmm. we're not sure how hard a time because no one's saying anything. Yeah. But we're just going to, you know, let it be and, you know, just make make it happen. Like, yeah. And I think that that sense of, well, they maybe had it worse or I don't have it as bad as that. So I'll just kind of suck it up. Yeah. I think that can be very damaging. Right. Yeah. Um, and I talk about this concept of comparatively diminishing our own pain. Oh yeah. I was mm. going to bring that up. And like, I just think that's so sad because just like, even for myself, like I d- definitely didn't have it the worst, not even near the worst. Mm. Um, so I kind of question, you know, who am I to be writing this story, but it's what God is using your experiences for. So mm-hmm. if it's hard for you, it's hard for you. It doesn't matter how hard it is for somebody else. Um, seek out that help and that support. Even if someone else went through something, um, more difficult and didn't, you know, need any coping mechanisms and mm-hmm. didn't reach out to, you know, their church for prayer or meals, it doesn't mean you can't mm-hmm. because, um, it's changing you in ways that'll be different from that person. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's something to be really cautious of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, in all areas, but specific to like you talking about this pregnancy, the sucking it up. It, I think that's a choice people make. And I don't think it's something we need to be doing. It, mm-hmm. If it's hard, get help and yeah. Yeah, talk about sure. it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we, we can, we can kind of roll through the, you know, the first, I guess the first chapters, the first sure. part of the book is, is about, you know, your story. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know how much of the story you want to tell and how much yeah. you want people <laughs> just to wait and read on the, in the book. Yeah. But like, we're very interested in like the whole, you know, basically it goes through like fertility and the pregnancy and then your, the labor and, you know, the difficulties with birth and then, you know, postpartum basically like yeah. that whole period. And then, you know, obviously your recovery. And, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe we can just start with like, the fertility side of it. And I'm mm-hmm. sure we're like, we have lots of questions about like all sorts of stuff. Okay. Um, I don't know how much your story you want to share or we yeah. can, you know, do you want me to give like an overview? Sure. Yeah, like, like, sure. What happened? Yeah. So, um, yeah, we were about six months married when we decided that we wanted to try and start a family. Um, and it wasn't happening for us. Um, so even from the time that we decided we were ready to go to a fertility clinic, 
that readiness dissipated as soon as we started researching into mm. it. So even after saying, okay, we know this is something that we need to do. I think it was another year and a half before that even happened mm-hmm. because there's a lot of different heart hurdles and mm. there's, there's the loss of how you pictured things going mm-hmm. that you have to kind of let go of before you're ready to take those next steps. Um, and then, yeah, we went to fertility clinic. Um, I'm thankful that even our treatment was pretty minimal. Um, but no matter how minimal it was, it was pretty invasive on our, I was going like, to say it's, on it's so much more invasive than what it like naturally is. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. anything ends up being yeah. a hurdle and, yeah, and you, inconvenience almost. You kind of question things. I mean, I'm sure everyone questions it differently. Like I'm definitely not a spokesperson for people going through this kind of thing, but mm-hmm. for me, it was saying out loud, why do I have to buy my baby? And that's a mm. horrible thing to say because it's just not true. But these are like. That's how you feel. Yeah. yeah and that's a really it. like kind of existential crisis to go through mm. in wanting children. Um, so you have to work through that. And you have to, even though, you know, no amount of money is, you know, a problem if it's for a child, you still yep. have to make fi- wise financial decisions. And you need to, there's just yeah. so many ducks that you need to put in a row. Yeah. Um, it's not something you think about before you go into it. Like, no. yeah, it definitely takes. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 Mean, so yeah. then even as, um, so then we finally got through those doors. Um, and like, sorry, do you want me to like give it an idea of like what fertility treatments are like, or just an overview of like our story? Well, yeah, no, like I, <laughs> I think people like, well, there's a, no one really there's a bunch about, right? of fertility treatments mm-hmm. anyways, yeah. right? So Yeah, and there's some that, like, I mean, you've obviously had a certain experience or a certain mm-hmm. set of treatments or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, there's obviously, like, other ones that people yeah. are, you know, pursue. And people, some people don't pursue because they're, you know, ethically questionable. Right. I think you, like, briefly touched on it. I, yeah, um, I very briefly touch on that. But, I mean, it's hard. That's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, yeah. yeah, maybe you can, like, outline for people you know, in a way that you're comfortable with anyway. It's like just what somebody would be in for yeah. with that. Yeah. Like, so I don't know, maybe we can share our story a little bit too, but it's like, um, yeah, I mean, it's not like fun. Mm-hmm. You know? It's yeah. Like we said, it's pretty intrusive. Um, but when you go, there's certain levels of treatment and each one becomes more invasive. Mm. Um, some might even say like more artificial. Um, and, but when you go right away, they're going to kind of test your like environment. Your, mm. your fertile environment. They're yeah. going to do blood work and they're going to do urine samples. And for the male, they're going to, you're going to have to give a sample mm-hmm. and yeah. Um, yeah. They're like they'll be, check your tubes and yeah. And then, yeah. yeah. Check if flipping tubes are open and everything like that. Um, so it just gives them a baseline of what they're working with and what treatment you're going to need. Um, so the first level of treatment is just timed intercourse, which is mm. treatment you can do at home, but they can also assist you in the fertility clinic mm-hmm. um, really monitoring like, the growth of follicles and where your home hormones are surging or dipping or giving you um, extra medication along the right. way, which means, yeah. which yeah. means blood work every time yeah, you go in then yes. right, to test those hormones. Yes. So that's another added intrusion um, intrusion. And mm-hmm. for some people, needle phobia is a real thing yeah. and yeah, they're going to do blood work every yeah. time. Yeah. So. And when you go, like it's all based on like when your cycle starts and stuff. So when mm-hmm. you go, it's, you go once and then it's, you know, it's every three or four days and then it's every other day and then it's every day. 
Yeah. And like you might be going every day for a week, mm. depending on what yeah. your environment is like. So early in the morning. Yeah. And <laughs> for us, it was okay. I'm going to go before, you know, my husband leaves for work and you're leaving the house at 530. Like your blood, your vein, the blood in your veins isn't even moving yet by the time you're <laughs> yeah. getting yeah. your blood taken. So yeah. I know for myself, they said, okay, you need to run up three flights of stairs before we do your blood work. I didn't have that. <laughs> and we live close to the clinic, so we weren't 45 minutes away. But okay. again, you would have gotten up really early. <laughs> it's really <laughs> early. <laughs> and every time it would be like, I don't want to go. And mm -hmm. my husband would say, you know, you don't have to go. And I would just give him a kiss and I would just leave because... Yeah. Not going meant something too big to accept. Yeah, right. And it could be the like a whole month of loss yeah. of yeah. work that you've done already. Yeah. yeah. And thankfully, like even funding has changed from when we started, but it used to be you paid to, you know, monitor a cycle. Um, and that was every month. But now that fee actually covers a whole year. So thankfully, the government has oh, okay. acknowledged mm. some need in that area. Mm -hmm. So Interesting. that's super helpful for some couples. But yeah, so like it's pretty intrusive. And also every time they do blood work, they're doing an internal ultrasound. ultrasound. Mm. So that has, I mean, that can have long-term effects on you and it, it's very intrusive. Yeah. Um, it's not fun. Yeah, yeah, it's not fun. No, no. So <laughs> yeah, so it starts timed intercourse. Um, one of the next treatment levels would then be intrauterine insemination, which is where they'll, um, yeah, the husband will give a sample, they'll wash the sperm and then they'll place the sperm in the uterus. Um, when there's a mature egg that's ready to be fertilized. Um, and and at least in Canada, that can cost anywhere between like two and four thousand dollars just to do yeah, that I've one. Never time. researched the cost of that. Yeah. It's yeah, just it, it jumps up so high yeah. from regular yeah. um just blood work and stuff like and that. And maybe for some people it seems kind of crazy to even talk about how much something like that costs because it's for mm -hmm. life. But that is a huge factor in you know mm -hmm. can we do another cycle like can we actually physically afford this no right, and yeah, right. i think and a month goes by pretty quickly yeah yeah and i think it's like, yeah times that by 12 yeah like seriously yeah. and a yeah. year isn't even that long to be trying and if you're gonna do that every month like yeah. that is physically mentally exhausting yeah yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and like on the financial side i think that um i don't talk about this in the book but i think that kind of is a window um of opportunity like, especially as a community that really does value building your family, mm -hmm. mm. Um, that that I could be that, a, yeah. a place mm -hmm. for even like reaching out to your deacons and saying, hey, this is what we're going through. But when those ethics come into play, it just complicates everything. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so that would be the next level of treatment is called IUI. And then... Um, after that is IVF, which is in vitro fertilization. And I feel that most people are familiar with that. Yeah. Like it's kind of yeah. like IVF is definitely. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So that people are familiar even with. in yeah. the, even in the realm, like the first, the first step is like it. I know you said in the book too, it takes the fun out of your, out of your marriage basically. Yeah. Right. Like, and so like, I don't know, we can make, maybe you want to tell, Kel, you want to tell our story just a little bit. Like, I don't know, just, <laughs> I would just love like, to hear it. just briefly. Yeah. Anyways, like, I don't know how I can't remember all the dates and the, the times and things like that, but yeah. Um, fortunately for us, we only did this two months before we got pregnant with our first. So right, we were like probably we were married, married what, like, probably for a good year before I went to our family doctor and just saying that, like, yeah, like we were trying to have a baby and it wasn't happening yet. So she took the conservative route, which I was very thankful for because I think a lot of doctors often jump up to mm -hmm. like IUI, mm -hmm. like IVF. But she's like, no, we're just gonna go to 
Um, she's like, I know a clinic who's it's a Dunville, like, or a doctor in Dunville. So they're like okay. conservative doctor. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> she's just, uh, yeah. She's just a little hesitant to do things to just like jump the gun, which mm, I right. very much appreciate. Mm. Um, yeah. So we got an appointment at a clinic in Hamilton and, um, yeah, they did blood work and stuff like that. And then, well, you do your initial appointment, which is not great, but I mean, it's, it, and that, yeah. it seems like more of a doctor's appointment kind of style. Like you're, you're almost getting like a physical yep. to start, which yeah. is like, yeah. I mean, it's They're uncomfortable and it's not uh, fun. Baseline of, yeah. yeah. So then working like, with yeah, a doctor. Then, so it's like, okay, <clears throat> I guess we'll do this. Right. And then you and I got tested and like mm. my, my tubes were cleared and yeah, we we're basically left with like, no diagnosis it wasn't really a problem so (laughs) Mm -hmm. we're like okay so then we we did do um some like follicle stimulating hormones and stuff Mm -hmm. and then a couple injections um around time of ovulation and yeah and they monitor your follicles probably very similar to what you did yeah and yeah we had said after the first month that if it didn't happen we did yeah yeah, we did the first month and we were going through the course of the second if it wasn't going to happen after that then we were just going to kind of lay it low for the summer and just maybe pick it up again a few months later. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, uh, yeah. And then you got pregnant, but it was, yeah. I, I remember being at a point where we were frustrated with it. Like it was mm-hmm. just like, it did take the fun out of your marriage. It was like, Oh yeah. Now you it have, it like, okay, all, of your, like, all of your thought and like, even yeah. like your time where you're actually talking with each other. It's all about that. Oh, it's yeah. And it's, yeah. I know. And say you had a really tiring day or something like that yeah. at work. And normally you yeah kiss good night and go to <laughs> sleep well like, no, no no this is the evening that we actually need to do this yeah mm-hmm. and this is like one out of three in a row that you, three nights in a row that yep. you have to have intercourse mm-hmm. and it it really does yeah. take the fun out of it mm-hmm. and i mm. i think that like that is such a hurdle because so you're married and you're like hey let's have kids or whatever your romantic life looks a certain way and you you can't expect it not to change like it will mm-hmm. change and i think to be able to find other ways um to have those romantic moments together um mm-hmm. you know dinner out like finding being really intentional with your your time together mm-hmm. i think can be very helpful because it's it's just, it's just the pits like yeah, it's it's just really not so no fun. it's just not something some people prepare you for though right like you go to the doctor yeah. and they're doing the the medical stuff, but they're not preparing you for the relational yeah. issues. Right. Yeah. And that's where I think like your book is great. Cause like you get to s- a glimpse into somebody else's, you know, experience with it. Mm-hmm. And then you, you can say, oh, okay, well she like reflecting on it. Sarah said, well, like this is kind of what I was thinking. You're like, oh, maybe we should like, you know, talk about it and being intentional with our, you know, our like our bringing, yeah, bringing our romance into our marriage or whatever yeah. we need to do. Yeah. Um, because yeah, it does like, as soon as you make the decision, which, you know, you spoke to it, like, it's a hurdle to get over yeah. the fact that you might need help with this mm-hmm. medically. And then, and then to also have to face the effects of that decision once you get yeah. to that decision. Mm-hmm. But you don't know what the effects are. <laughs> you don't know, like, until you live like, it. I guess right? we just do it. <laughs> and then you, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, aside from even having resources to, you know, share with people in our community that like, this is where you could go because like we had yeah. to do all our own research. Cause like, yeah. It's not something you just like, hey, so did you guys have this problem? Did you go to a fertility clinic? <laughs> How did you conceive your child? Yeah, like, you're not, not like, going to go like, ask It's not like what that. hospital no. was your kid born in. It's like, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But you so. almost start thinking of like the couples that say they haven't didn't have a kid for like five, six years. And they almost start thinking, looking at them a little differently. Yeah. Like a little, definitely more compassion. Be like, they might have gone through the same thing yeah. that we have mm. gone through. And yeah. if only you had known. Then, yeah. And mm, I yeah, think that's where this... Um, 
like the introduction really touches on this. There's, I feel like there's this need to prepare our young couples in a fuller way. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes from, we need to be sharing our stories. Um, Yeah. More willingly, like not everyone is, is gonna be called to that. And who you share it with is like, it's your close people. It's the cousin in your life. It's the sister-in-law. It's those people. Because when you share those stories, then let's say a couple's going through it. Like you're saying, they already know who to go to mm-hmm. and who to say, okay, they shared, oh, one time we were at their house for coffee and like mm-hmm. it came yeah. up, right. That this was part of their journey. And, um, I know as a community testimonials, like aren't really, at least in my experience, aren't really a big thing. And I think yeah. that's where even like in an interpersonal way, sharing our testimonies and sharing those big things in our life yeah. can be so helpful. Yeah. Mm. You almost need like couples who, a minister would know so that when he is bringing a couple, another couple through yeah. marriage um, preparation mm-hmm. counseling, mm. then we can be like, well, you know mm-hmm. what? Like, I actually know of a couple who went through this and I would like to bring them in to talk yeah. to you about that. Yeah. And then at least then they would have like a yeah. real life couple, that, mm-hmm. not just hearsay from a minister. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that's the hope with like our model of home visits and having our elders come into our home and to be able to share our lives. Mm-hmm. I think if they that can be utilized in a way that connects, um, you know, a family with who's struggling with something with a family who's come out the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They're going to, you know, have their own scars from that. They don't have to have done it well or even perfectly or even well, but they've gone through it. And I think those connections being made um, from like a, a middle person, even if you're sharing with a friend what you're going through for them to be able to, you know, even in confidentiality, reach out and say, hey, I have someone in my life who's going through this. I know you've gone through it too. Can I connect the two of you? Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that can be really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Helpful. Well, I mean, yeah. it's helpful. You wrote a book. So now everyone, everyone who listens to this is just going to call you. So <laughs> <laughs> they're going to like get your number. But um, the book is, yeah. Call, yeah. Calling everyone who is comfortable enough to share because it won't be mm-hmm. everybody, but it don't share your story. Even just the fact story. like I went through it too. And, yeah. yeah. And even to like the women who, um, m- might not think, oh, I, you know, I don't relate to this kind of struggle with having children. There's something that's been hard in your mm-hmm. journey to children, whether if it wasn't conceiving, maybe pregnancy was really challenging for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Just share those stories. It's not, um, I think there's a fear of, you know, being complaining about what we've gone through, but it, that's not what it needs to be. It can be yeah. a sharing how we can say God was so good and God provided. Um, mm. but he provided in, you know, me having this sister-in-law who was, you know, such a blessing and a support to me, mm-hmm. like right. show those specifics on how he provided. Yeah. yeah right. Um, yeah. I think some people also take their bad experiences and kind of wear them as a badge of honor and be like, well, I went through this. Yeah. And it's like, no, you don't have to be proud of it. No. Um, you probably should have reached out for a bit of help because mm. it's, you don't yeah, have to it's do not it on something your own. that you have to do on your own. Yeah. And that's not how God created our community either. Right. No. It's mm-hmm. that body. It's that, you know, the hand needs the foot and mm. yeah, exactly. We're all meant to help each other. And yeah, yeah exactly. You know. But even as I say that, I know there were parts in our, our journey. So moving out of the infertility and, um, thankfully we were able to get pregnant and, um, but at our anatomical ultrasound, um, they realized that my body was already going into labor. So mm-hmm. I was put on bed rest. How many weeks is that for, uh, 20 weeks. Okay. So, um, but my reaction to that 
was I was losing complete control yeah. <laughs> of this mm. of the whole situation that I wanted to control something and that only thing I could control was who was getting this information. So I like completely shut closed the shutters and like closed the doors and I said to family I said you're not allowed to tell anybody about this. Mm. Which really was me asking them, well, you now need to support me on your own. Right. Like I didn't realize that's what I was saying, but that's kind of how it played out. Mm-hmm. And eventually it was, oh, well, Sarah hasn't actually been in church for a while, but John is. And then people start reaching out, like, is everything okay? And mm-hmm. yeah, right. And then it kind of was this like nudge to then kind of open up. Meanwhile, that could have been weeks of my church family being in prayer for us and for the safety right. of mm-hmm. our baby and all these things that yeah. I wasn't willing to let go of my quote unquote privacy mm-hmm. um, for the sake of the body being able to function the way it was intended to. Mm. It's not something you like, you know, you think about No, like not something that dawns on you while you no. make the decision. Oh, when you're in it, you're just like, this don't is my, anybody. this is my stuff. Yeah. Like, don't you tell anybody. And you're just reacting. Yeah. You're mm. not. And you think like, why on earth would they need to know this? Yeah. 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 Like how much of it was that? And how much of it was like, you know, you just want to get through it. So you can say you got through it or like the struggle, like personally, yeah. or like, it's just everything. I think it was just not even knowing how to cope, mm-hmm. right? We mm-hmm. we had lost a sense of control with the infertility, but having gotten pregnant fairly, you know, fairly quickly through that process, it was like we forgot everything we'd learned. <laughs> you yeah. just are like, oh, okay, now now we can control it. Yeah. Oh, now mm-hmm. we've got. Yeah, this. everything's back to normal. Yeah. Now it's back. Oh, on now us. it's my it's my turn to now enjoy this. Mm-hmm. And you know, God was there to remind me. Um well, actually this is, you know, all in my plan mm-hmm. and, mm. um, yeah. So e- even though, yeah. <laughs> it, no, it's good. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, <laughs> no, it's yeah. I mean, pregnancy and, and the struggles that come with, I mean, I can't imagine that. Um, like mm-hmm. even a, even a good pregnancy is hard. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like, Maybe you can share a little bit about like your story with, with, you know, being on bed rest and then, you know, I guess even going into early delivery and, you know, that whole, you know, thing. So, um, I was on bed rest for 10 weeks and, um, up until that 20 week where, where they put me on bed rest, my pregnancy was fairly quote unquote normal. Um, I was working, I actually left my job to go get the ultrasound done and I was going back because it was flowers. So it was seasonal and right, it was like, right. it was like, get this done and just go back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I literally left the ultrasound and they said, Oh um, yeah, go to your family doctor. She's waiting for you. When does that, when does your doctor just go see you after you've been at the hospital? So I knew that things had to be pretty serious. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so I was put on uh, bed rest at home, thankfully. Um, and they said, the only reason you're home is because you don't have other kids at home that you're going to be tempted to be picking up. Um, but yeah, I needed to stay horizontal because my body was, was ready to be giving birth. So thankfully God allowed our son to, um, continue to grow for another 10 weeks. Um, and the evening that he was born, um, I had been kind of in pain throughout the day, the same kind of pain I would get if I maybe did a few too many things. Like, so this bed rest was, you can get up and make yourself a sandwich and you can shower once a week, but like you lay down otherwise. Um, and 
That's yeah. so dark. During, I know, I'm just saying. <laughs> it's like, during that time, um, yeah, it things, like you said, did you say that was really, that's really dark? It's hard. It's yeah. like, it's, it's, dark. It, it's yeah, just everything. And, yeah. like, and that's just, exactly how it became for me. Like already not realizing this at the time, but being susceptible to like dark thoughts, you know, depression, anxiety, things like that. Um, that started to close in. Mm. And I did a number of things on my bed rest from, you know, you know, watching movies to reading books, being on Pinterest. But the one thing I didn't do was open my Bible. Mm. And I'm so ashamed of that because that's probably exactly, it is exactly what I needed. And they were just very long days. And, you know, some days it would be me, you know, making a phone call. Hey, like, if you're free, like, do you want to come for coffee? Them coming for coffee was, you're making the coffee and you're bringing the stuff because I'm just laying here. But, um, you know, I would kind of brush it off as like, I'm really bored. Yeah. Um, But meanwhile, I was, you know, grasping at survival just Mm -hmm. in terms of trying to get through the day. Mm. And, you know, we got to a point where we had to reach out to like my husband's boss is the last thing I wanted him to do. Um, And just say, Hey, like, in terms of Sarah's mental health, like it's not good right now. And she doesn't mm-hmm. always feel safe at home. And that's a really hard thing to say out loud and admit. Um, but to be able to be transparent with his boss in order that he could have those days when I needed him home because things just w- seemed way too hard mm. was such a provision. Mm-hmm. And like, so he has a, a Christian boss and it, like God provided through that. Mm. And, there were days where I could say, I need you today, but because they were being so considerate to our um, situation, it then also gave me the push to say, no, like I can do this today. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And just knowing he could come if I needed him. So that really speaks to like the communication that's needed between couples um, with your mental health in any issue, but specific to this, because this journey of having kids, it's a, as much as it's the woman's body going through it, you're going through it together. And when you can't sustain, you know, stuff around the house or you can't, you know, be emotionally supporting what's going on, then he can. Mm-hmm. And there's this team mm-hmm. aspect that's going on. Um, so that was kind of how things. Yeah, that's where things were turning on our journey. And um yeah, so then as we got nearing the end of that 10 weeks, which <clears throat> we were so thankful to get to the 24 weeks because 24 weeks is kind of the medically accepted time when they'll considered you know, viable then. Viable pregnancy. Yeah. Um so every week it was just another answer to prayer. Um and yeah, so the night that Logan was born, I was just in a lot of pain. Um, so I was just resting a lot and by whatever time I realized that this pain was coming in waves. So we called the hospital and we said, Hey, this is our situation. I'm not due for another 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. So why? But we also knew that I was in preterm labor. So, um, she said, Oh, you you know, you don't need to come. It's okay. Um, like do whatever you want to do. And then I realized, Oh, this is coming in waves. So we ended up going to the hospital and the whole way there. I'm like, John, I'm the woman who cried wolf. Turn around. And I was getting really angry. Like, I was just really frustrated with the situation. I felt like Mm. such an inconvenience. And it was kind of one of those crossroads where, yeah, like, 
our freedom of choice and like God's plan. It kind of felt like, um, yeah, what if we had decided? We could, That's one of those moments mm-hmm. in our life where we, what if we hadn't gone to the hospital? But God brought us there. Yeah. And within half an hour of getting to the hospital, um, my placenta had completely abrupted. So there's there's ruptured and there's abrupted. Um, but basically what happened to me was the placenta just left. Just pulled away from the uterus. Yeah, and, and just completely left and released itself. So our son no longer like had a way to breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, within seconds, I had passed out. Um but which is so crazy because we got to the hospital, they said, yeah, like, you know, you're, you're having the baby tonight. We're going to transfer you to Mac. The doctor said, I'm going to do a C-section and I'll come back and check you and then we'll send you over. Um, but with even 15 minutes of him saying that this happened and mm-hmm. it turns out the reason he was born wasn't even related to what was going on with bed rest. It was a completely mm-hmm. a different issue. Mm-hmm. And I obviously wasn't conscious for the birth of our son. And, um, so basically as they were wheeling me, um, like John's just following. And I remember mm-hmm. the nurse like had to come up on the stretcher with me and everything. Um, anyways, they went behind the doors for an emergency C-section and they basically said to him, you stop here. I still can't believe they said that. It's like, is that That's normal? A- well, that- normally like if you have a C-section, like the husband can go Yeah. In. He's in there. Yeah. Um, but I think it was the emergent state of it because mm-hmm. when the doctor came out, the first thing he said to John was, your wife is alive. Yeah. Your son is alive. Um, I didn't actually know that until even like writing this, his, he was writing his perspective and he was mm-hmm. sharing it with me because the first words that the doctor said. Yeah. Yeah. It just was kind of pivotal, right? Cause yeah. none of us, neither of us knew really how serious, yeah. um, what was going on. Well, I was unconscious, obviously I didn't know, yeah. but, yeah. um, yeah, so that's kind of how our son came into the world. And I didn't see him for like like the nine hours until mm-hmm. I got to meet him. Um, but it was not what we were expecting. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Um, and it just felt like, okay, it, it's, it almost felt like we had this checklist in front of us. Okay, so trying to conceive. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that didn't go according to plan. Pregnancy. Okay, well, that was not quite what we had expected. You figure like we should now have yeah. a normal birth because yeah. we had everything else going yeah. against us. And mm. it's just, um, it just took us. Yeah. We just kept thinking like, like what is going on here? And it's so odd to think that um, I was like that 13 year old girl. I was like, Oh, I just want to get married. And I want to have the kids like just classic. Mm. Um, but I've gone through that. I've gotten pregnant. I've given birth. But when women share their stories, I can't relate. Mm. it's a very gives me kind of a weird out of body experience feeling there's definitely um if anyone starts to share their birth story if i'm able like i I like leave the room or i actually physically one time a bunch of ladies we were out for dessert and people just started sharing their stories because that's something you all have in common or if you if you're all mothers and i found myself all of a sudden physically turning away from the conversation before i even realized what was happening and it was like, it just shows how there's this book called Your Body Keeps Score. And like, you can mm-hmm. just, you just never forget those kinds of experiences. Yeah. So that's, but that was, yeah, that was our story. Yeah. It's like, so you almost have way more of a birth story than I do though. Seriously. <laughs> like definitely yeah, more exciting. Like, well, yeah. I mean, it's, 
it's terrifying and it's overwhelming and it's, it's yeah. everything. Yeah. But then it show goes to show again, like how many things, like even that happening was in God's control. But for these um, normal birth stories, it shows how many things need to be happening at one time and mm-hmm. timed perfectly and like how it is so miraculous for us to even have children mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So what kind of advice would you give for mm-hmm. husbands? Cause um, I w- I'm, I'm thinking like the, a wife always that the wife is just, it, things just happened to you. Right. It was just mm-hmm. like, okay, then this happened. And then we just kind of try to deal with it. And, but for, are you talking about giving birth or well, everything like from all the way from like the pregnancy, like say after infertility, like, um, say you you've gotten pregnant, like how can mm-hmm. the husband best support, like even a wife with like morning sickness mm-hmm. or like, it's one thing to say, oh yeah, just be there for her. But mm-hmm. it's another thing like to actually have concrete plans. Yeah. Well, like you're on bed rest ideas. and it's just, it's just something that you just don't expect like your for wife to have you know, to do. To, yeah. Yeah. It's and, to support. And you might not expect your husband to have to support you yeah. or even want it. Mm-hmm. Like Honestly, it, the best that I think one of the best things that a husband can do to support his wife is to get support himself. Like he's, he's walking on like new ground as well. And he doesn't know what's going on as much as I'm saying that, um, we need to be sharing our stories. Um, men need to be coming alongside each other. It's so often the way we speak about having kids and it's so hard on the woman, like the man is going through this as well. And Mm -hmm. there's so much that they're just figuring out along the way. Mm. And, uh, John speaks about that in the husband's perspective and he didn't realize that he needed it at the time, but he just had, and he had men who so would have been there if he had said, Hey, I need you here. I, I need just to talk. I need someone just to be sitting even with me, or mm-hmm. I, I need to tell someone what's going on because I don't know what to do next. Um, for people to be able to reach in and say, do you like, how can I support you? And to reach mm. out and say to a brother or a friend, okay, man, like we need, we need to have a beer. We need to talk. Like I, I think men need support. I think women are obviously more verbal naturally. So yeah. I mean, we reach out for that across the board for all sorts of areas. But I think when it comes to having kids, just talking to even another dad and saying, okay, my wife's having a really hard time with this. And it takes us as women being able to let go of, someone else maybe knowing what's going on to mm. us mm-hmm. for him to find that support but then you might find tools and tips from somebody else right yeah yeah i think that's part of it it's like you want your i mean you are you're proud of your wife for what she's going through but you'd also don't want to like you know unnecessarily like expose the you know that whole situation to anybody yeah when you really don't know if like they're going to be helpful or, your, or your wife is going to want you to. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's where the communication you, between yeah. the husband and wife comes yeah. in. And I think that's where something like I was talking about like that. We, our marriages are sacred and, um, but somehow that has translated into keeping everything about them private. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I don't know where that translation happens because we don't need to be figuring these ha- things out and dealing with them in our little vacuums. Mm-hmm. Yes. We've never experienced them before. No. But how many examples do we have of marriages, you know, that have lasted through the decades 
that mm-hmm. are surrounding us, like that is a gold mine of wisdom. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. I think if we can let go of some of the privacy, the quote unquote privacy, um, I mean, together you have to be okay with sharing those details mm-hmm. um, for the sake of somebody else. Like I'll always remember my brother-in-law said to me, I'd actually, it, or how did he say it? I don't care who knows about my sins or my shortcomings if God can use it for his kingdom, mm. then I'm going to share it. Then I'm going to share it. Yeah. Because, and it was, I feel like that was so helpful for me to just let go of mm. what my shortcomings are or what I felt like had happened to me. <clears throat> because if God can use our story to help somebody else, isn't that the whole point? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. And it's not just having like one person who's had a story like yours, like, you know, and then you lay it out in, in such a formal way. It's like everybody has who even has a little story, like mm-hmm. just sharing it because mm-hmm. it, you know, yeah, it does like, you don't know who it's going to help. Right. Yeah. And I think so. in sharing it, often you find that there's so many more people who've had mm-hmm. the same thing as you've had mm-hmm. to, and it just takes yeah. one person to break the dam. And then before you know it, yeah. Then just more and more. And, and mm-hmm. that's the thing is, um, like even this, this idea of fertility, like it seems more common now, but I don't know that it's necessarily even more common. It's just more talked about. And I think treatment is more accepted and treatment's actually even just more helpful nowadays because yeah. of medical advancements. Um, but I think, yeah, there was, well, you trying to conceive a child, that's a very private thing. And it is like, mm-hmm. if you don't need to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, why would anyone, I don't know, really choose to, to do that so yeah. openly. But I think if you can talk about where it's been hard for you, you there's so many people. Mm. Yeah. 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 That's one thing people, I don't know people realize, like I, I find it's becoming more prevalent, like, <clears throat> or, or maybe that's just because we're the age we are, or like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, it seems like every, you know, every time you turn around, it's somebody that, mm-hmm. you know, is like, you know, Oh, like, you must be struggling like, yeah. And you kind of want to help. I mean, I don't know how to help, but yeah. it's, uh, I mean, fertility, <clears throat> it's, it is genetic. Mm. So they say that if you're wondering, let's say you're about to start trying to have kids and you're curious, Oh, I wonder if I'm going to have trouble having kids or you can kind of look to your, like your blood relatives, like parents, uncles, aunts, whatever. I don't know how that is crossed with like gender or not, but right, right. that'll give you a sense of, so let's say your right. your mother wasn't, you know, had a hard time having kids. It might be something for you to kind of expect for yourself. Right. Mm. But it's not even necessarily, though, passed down either. Mm. Right. So they say it's genetic, but. And yeah, again, going back to our churches, we look at our big Dutch families, right? And then you just kind of assume again that mm-hmm. it's like not going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um. So, yeah, what was it like to have a a, a preemie? Like that's something that people, I think, well, there are a certain amount of people who go through that regardless of everything before <clears throat> everything and after, before. Yep. right? Mm-hmm. Like, is that, you know, I mean, maybe just yeah. speak to your experience yeah. and then like. It's, yeah. um, it's challenging. You just, you want to be home with your baby. You mm. want things to be normal again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and there's just so much you learn <clears throat> while you're in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So, um. As much as they're taking care of your baby, they're educating you at the same time. And thankfully, a lot of them are really willing to educate you because then you can help. I mean, you're there right. all the time right. and 
um, you know, like something small, like every time you go, like you want to touch your baby and you just, because mm. I mean, sometimes they're in this, an incubator when you're not allowed to touch them very often. And that's really challenging. You have mm. this new baby yeah. and um, hold their finger. Yeah. Like, and then I remember getting in trouble for like touching my baby. Yeah. And I was like, excuse me, <laughs> like yeah, this is right. my job. But then, you know, like started to teach me, well, actually our job is to um, protect their quiet awake time mm. because the more restful they are, the more they sleep, the more they grow and the more restful their awake time is. So if they're being handled and kind of bugged a little bit, their heart yeah. rate's going to go up. That's not going to be time where they're growing. That's going to be time where they're just right. coping, yeah. using up. Yeah. Mm. Right. So just small things like that. Um, and I mean, depending on where you live and what hospital your baby's in, like you, even as you're healing from giving birth or from whatever your journey was to have your baby. Um, yeah. Are you driving to and from the hospital constantly? Are you even getting enough rest at night? Are you sleeping there on like a cot? Like there's just so mm -hmm. many um, things that are affecting you personally and mm -hmm. you're just zeroed in on your baby and you're just, you're kind of surviving. Um, but I did hear someone recently like who, their children, anytime they have had a child they're they know that they're in the NICU. Oh, okay. And they're saying how now that they know that that's what is coming, you kind of prepare yourself and it's a lot easier when mm -hmm. you know it's coming. It's still challenging. Um, but I think it's when it catches you off guard that. It, yeah. Yeah, mm. for sure. So. Mm. And there's so many ups and downs with preemies too, right? <clears throat> Just like daily there's yeah. like depending on their yeah. oxygen and yeah. I don't know. I've never had yeah. a baby, oh, okay. so it's yeah. like <laughs> you're on the right track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so much that there you're learning about, you know, the proper respiratory rates. You're learning about the proper heart rate. You're learning about all these numbers mm -hmm. and you're looking at your baby through the lens of numbers. Mm -hmm. And even when it comes time to take your baby home, that's actually something they make you do is you have to stay overnight. If, especially if it's your first, I don't know if you have more kids at home, they might not make you do this, but they make you stay overnight without the monitors on. And okay. you are the one that takes care of your baby in the hospital that night because you've literally been caring them for them through the numbers. The mm -hmm. numbers have told you what they needed. And they're very reassuring, right? When yeah. you see in certain yep. numbers, it's like, yeah, you, you don't know learn that to read good. your baby's face mm -hmm. or right. you know, their their voice or mm -hmm. how they're reacting. You read the numbers. So mm. that's really hard because even when we had him home, um, we didn't have the screen to tell us that he was okay. Right. And it, it's uh, it's kind of an odd thing to then settle into learning your baby from square one because mm. you've been around your baby for so long already. But when they come home with you, that's your day one, right? Mm. Like that's right, your yeah. um, that's your first your time night. together. Yeah. Mm. There's this really odd divide between um, like your rights as a parent when your baby's in the hospital as well. So when your child's admitted, like, let's say you were to take your baby out of the hospital before they said he was well enough, like that would be, you'd be probably get charged with neglect for that. Mm -hmm. So there is this sense that the hospital knows best, mm -hmm. um, yeah, which yeah. they, I mean, they really do. <laughs> they, yeah, they know right. what's going on. But even, um, so we spent a time in the children's hospital and then in our home hospital. Mm. Right. And even in the home hospital, like we could hold our baby, but they didn't want us carrying him like around the halls because mm. it's just not safe. Um, right. But only grandparents were allowed in the area that we were in. So this is 
Also, this is like pre-COVID era. I was going to say, yeah. so that's a Ready whole, I've, you know, talked to a few people who've had babies in the NICU and special care nurseries through COVID. And that's, it's, it's really such a shame that they're not able to be getting the supports that they need because mm-hmm. it's such a challenging time. Mm. Um, that's an entirely different conversation, yeah, but um, yeah. So even like we wanted to, yeah, like or some of the closest people in our life, obviously like aren't only the grandparents. We want mm-hmm. to introduce our son. He's already 10 weeks old and mm-hmm. all these things. And we weren't allowed to take him outside the doors. Like we weren't legally allowed. Right. So there's this really weird divide yeah. with what you're allowed to do, but they are your child and they, you, it's kind of yes, but not yet. Yeah. Kind of feeling. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I was, when I was reading through that part of it, like it seemed like, it seemed like their birthday wasn't their birthday. And like mm-hmm. that they're like, you didn't own them. Or like you didn't own your son. It was like it's this funny. Um, Weird like it's, it's very hard. Like yeah, very hard to understand. Like I mean, you get. I guess you understand what's happening. Like the with the you know healthcare, and you, you, obviously you don't know best. And like, I mean, even if you think you're like, oh, like I think <clears throat> he needs this. But yeah, but the numbers are telling us this. So you yeah. know, just stay out of it. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't even when you're saying that. Like, I'm thinking like when we had both of our kids like you're trying to learn them the the night or yeah i guess they were both born at night or heading into the night that they were both like you're spending a night learning them like you're like this is you're trying to like learn their facial expressions and like mm-hmm. just the timeline for you with having <clears throat> you know logan in like such intensive care having all those like dates kind of not line up to be the same day just seems to me like it's just it's just this funny thing we can't relate to. So mm-hmm. like it's, it's a struggle, but there's actually, there's so many families, even in our like local communities mm. that go through it. Yeah. And it's actually awesome. How many people actually who've gone through it will reach out mm. and say like, Hey, how's it going? Like, um, and then to have the opportunity now down the road for me to do the same. Yeah. Um, it really connects you because you can understand each other in a way that, mm-hmm yeah not everybody can yeah um, i guess then like having the kid um brings it all into the open right like what is like what's happened like it's not like yeah. it's no it's something not. that's secretive anymore yeah mm-hmm. you've had your right? baby i know i think like i mean we, we're not going to talk about this extensively but like with miscarriage too it's mm-hmm. like something that like now it becomes usually becomes public very quickly then mm-hmm. it it's almost like a just the yeah. fact of the well not not necessarily, but maybe with like longer or like later term, but like the the support seems to be there. If people know, then it's mm-hmm. like as soon as the event occurs, then people are like, "I went through that. I'm gonna like help." Yeah, right. But then like it just brings me back to all the other little things, like the infertility and the pregnancy. Yeah. And but it's just more socially not, like, acceptable to talk about like a, a miscarriage or time in the NICU as opposed to trying to get pregnant. It's just, right. It's just yeah. the yeah. nature of the topics. I, I it doesn't get announced off the pulpit when you're, you know, going through like, fertility. Yeah. 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 And like, I'm so thankful even in this past year, I feel like even in our own local church, there's been more examples of specifically praying for couples that have gone through miscarriage and praying for the, mm. the child that was lost by name. And mm-hmm. I think it's just such a beautiful way for the church community to be able to come alongside these families. Yeah. If they have like a visitation or a funeral too, yeah. then it's just a really good way for everyone yeah. to come together. And I've been really thankful to see that and then for those families to get that support. But I think it 
the challenge that you're talking about with infertility is with miscarriage, you're, you're mourning the loss of a child. Mm-hmm. With infertility, you're mourning the loss of something that never was. Yeah. yeah so it's it's true. more intense. It's tangible versus intangible. Mm. And you don't know what God will hold in the future. Um, and as people will find out later in our book, we went back to try to have another baby, but eventually we had to decide not to pursue biological children anymore. And there was so often that I kind of, well, I told the close people in our life, but I kind of wished even like at ladies Bible study to just share this big decision that we had mm-hmm. made. Mm. But there was always this thing in the back of my mind. And to this day, I mean, we're three or four years out from that decision. But what if God does give us children? Then that feels maybe like silly that I would have asked people to mourn with me, you know? It's just, it's the yeah, maybe lies yeah. in my head, but that's, I remember going through that thought and so thankful that we can, um, yeah, it, it was yeah. something we had to, we mourned the loss of children we had always longed for mm-hmm. and we had pictured and we mm. had been planning and praying for. And, um, yeah, yeah it was kind yeah. of something we had to mourn but alone. I, I think if you don't mourn that, then and then you never have kids and you, you look down the road years later and be like, we really should have. Cause it feels mm-hmm. like there was no closure in that. Mm-hmm. And, and even if you mm-hmm. did get pregnant, then it's like, well, that was a decision that, yeah, definitely sat in our hearts, but we had yeah. to do it. And I think that, yeah, you'd lose a lot of closure if you never mm-hmm. mourned these things. And I think there is that just from my own story, maybe someone else would feel differently, but I, I regret not. Yeah. Maybe reaching out and, and, more like having that morning together Mm. um yeah it was more like even when how i shared it with like family and friends it was more factual because it was like we decided really in a place to talk about this but this is you know something that we had to decide Mm. um more cut and dry kind of conversation than yeah were you glad that you made like a like it's very clear that you made like a decision at a time Mm -hmm. together to stop yeah like the treatment Mm -hmm. but what are you glad that you did that as opposed to saying, well, Kate, we're just going to not do this for now mm-hmm. and then revisiting it two mm-hmm. years later. And then like, I just feel like the way that you went about it, like it seemed like it was very like, we're going to be able to like kind of mourn for this, like, but More then, absolute. but then mm-hmm. move on. And like to, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like you think it's always on the table. If you never, if you always yeah. have in the back of your mind, Oh, you know, in a couple of years yeah. we'll, we will revisit it. And those yeah. two years go by quickly. And then it's like all mm-hmm. of a sudden you're faced with, and that like, decision again, it's hard. Yeah. I don't think there's a, there's a right way or a wrong way, but it was intruding on our life so much. Mm-hmm. So this is now us being back at the fertility clinic and we had an 18 month old and it just, yeah, it was negatively affecting everything. Mm-hmm. Like I actually had a lady from our church ask me the other day, just in passing, we were having conversations. She's kind of picking up on some things. She said, like, are you guys not able to have any more kids? And it was one of the first times people, someone, someone asked me that. And I actually could handle answering. (laughs) And I said, well, I said, yes. I said, if I want to sacrifice my relationship with God, my relationship with my husband, my relationship with my son and my mental health, Mm -hmm. sure. We could probably have some more kids. But to that, I say, Mm. then that means, no, we can't. Because mm. those are not things that we're willing to sacrifice. Exactly. Yeah. And I think everyone comes to that threshold at a different time. Um, like we took those breaks, right? Like you're saying, oh, we'll just maybe mm. put it 
you know, for a few years. And because this journey, it was really piling on itself because there wasn't really a break in between every little thing that we were experiencing. We just felt like there was this weight on top of us and we needed to get out from under it. Yeah. Mm. So I think that's where an absolute decision was necessary for our experience yeah yeah and yeah oh no you go i was gonna say it's almost harder the second time with you because you're going back and then you think you forgot all those mental and emotional scars that you've kind of accumulated from the first time of going to the clinic right and then going back you're like yes this is what it's like and all that just gets ripped open again and so you're already going there on a foundation Mm -hmm. that's not super healthy right yeah and it's it's Mm -hmm. it's harder i think it would be and even one of the people that's close to me in my life that had a chance to read the the book early on, they came back to me after they read it and they said, it's so interesting because to us, it was like, okay, you experienced infertility. Well, now that's done. Mm-hmm. You were put on bed rest. Well, now that's done. And they were acknowledging how, but for you, you were feeling it add on to each other. Mm-hmm. And people can't always see that because- Maybe for someone else, they would be able to close that, separate them. And that Mm -hmm. wasn't something I'd been able to do emotionally. So, yeah, yeah, it was more just there was complexities there. Mm -hmm. We really do that with people who are sick, too, like just Mm -hmm. in the hospital. Okay, well, at least he's over that. And then, oh, he has another thing. Well, you don't Mm -hmm. really emotionally tie it together. Just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. No, that's interesting. So. Maybe we should touch on, I mean, we're, we got maybe 15, 20 minutes yet. Oh, that's all. I know. See, it goes by fast. Yeah. <laughs> was... um, yeah, no, you think an hour and a half is long, but it's not. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about the whole postpartum phase. And I know that's yeah. like a huge thing. And like, I mean, you were really open in the book about the anxiety and the depression that went along with it. And like yeah. people can read it and they can really cut, well, they can, they get inside your, inside your brain, what you were thinking. And then. I appreciated that you were really open with like the the faith journey part of it too, mm-hmm. but maybe you can just speak a little bit to that and like what your experience was and maybe like the faith journey yeah. aspect of it. Well, just like the postpartum mm-hmm. side of it. Yeah. So there's, so there is a difference between coping and surviving and like thriving, thriving. Mm. <laughs> and um, when you're clouded with something like postpartum, you don't really realize that you might just be in a state of surviving. Mm-hmm. And I got to that point and it took, um, and anyone who has experience with mental health, it takes letting other people in and what you're experiencing to um, find healthy coping mechanisms that allow you to thrive. Mm-hmm. And for me, it took reaching out to our pastor um, because we had kind of gone through some things that I wasn't able to reconcile in my heart. Um, even just having him come sit with us and, you know, he was reminding me of, um, you know, how Jesus or God sacrificed his son because he loved us so much. Mm. And as I was really struggling with the things I had to give up on our journey to have Logan and children in general, he said, how beautiful that you would be willing to give up those things for yourself, Mm. those joys. And that was just like kind of breakthrough kind of moment. And Mm -hmm. it's just that wise counsel is so pivotal with postpartum because your mind is so bogged down and it's very hard to think clearly Mm -hmm. and to even Mm -hmm. process what you're going through or have gone through if you have something like postpartum. The other thing is clear communication with your spouse. Unfortunately, I've met 
you know, multiple people who like can share with the other women that they're experiencing these feelings, but don't always feel like their husband will understand. Right. Mm. And, um, that team sport <laughs> part of it all comes back, yeah. right. That you might not have the capacity to, um, yeah, the roles. There's this natural divvying up of roles that happens when you get married. Mm-hmm. It's it just happens. Mm-hmm. But when you're going through something like having a baby in postpartum, there's a time for those roles to shift. Mm-hmm. And I think reaching out to your spouse and communicating those things is really helpful. And 100%, even if you don't get any treatment from your doctor, letting your doctor know what's going on is can be so pivotal. I know my husband got to a point where <clears throat> he just said to me very honestly, I don't know how to help you anymore. Mm-hmm. There was a long time where he could help me cope and letting him know what was going on inside my mind mm-hmm. made me feel safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got to a point where neither of us felt equipped to handle it anymore. And sharing the specifics with a professional, um, whether you're seeking you know, medication or not for that, that's an entirely different conversation, but just having them know created safety for us Mm -hmm. because this wasn't something that was going to be going away. It was something that was persisting and getting harder and harder. And honestly, my doctor said something to me, um, even about taking medication for postpartum. That was so pivotal. She's, I said, I don't want to take the medication because I don't want it to change me. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, your depression, your postpartum is creating an imbalance in your mind. And that is changing you. It's affecting your personality. Mm. When you take something like medication for your mental health, it creates a balance and then allows you to be who you already are. And that was so powerful for me to Mm. be able to find the help that I needed. Um, That's a great perspective way mm -hmm. to put it. Cause yeah, Yeah. it's, you think medication changes. Yeah. This is definitely for the better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, especially as like moms across the board, men, women, either way, um, like dads and moms, <clears throat> there's a new mom check in on them, if, like, especially for relationship with them and say, Hey, like, did your d- doctor give you any resources or education like on postpartum? Um, like if not, like, you know, have something that mm-hmm. you can send them and just say, <clears throat> especially if you've experienced it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, Hey, I've gone through this. Um, and I just want you to know, you can always come talk to me. Like say it out, mm-hmm. it's awkward sometimes because you're like, oh, like they're super joyful about their baby. I really don't want to bring down the mood because they think I'm just coming over to say hi to their little baby. But um, to put mm-hmm. make yourself uncomfortable for the sake of their safety, I think can be, yeah, it's pivotal. Mm. Yeah, it's true. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's just communication across the board. But I guess unloading some of that onto professionals if it's, if it's needed, then it's like, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, also having the courage as a, as a husband to say to your wife, like, I don't know what I need to do here. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, it not wait till the point where like, you know, your wife's in tears to help out, like, mm-hmm. or like to have that conversation, yeah. like just to take the initiative and actually, yeah, I mean, like taking the initiative and doing things, but also taking the initiative asking. and like in asking, like, yeah. hey, like, how are you actually like, yeah. because yeah, I mean, like you're home with a kid and it's like, I mean, most of what like you know, new motherhoods at home, which is yeah. something different than, you know, what we've done beforehand, what you've done before, especially if it's your first yeah. kid. So it's a new role. It's like a yeah. new job. Oh. Yeah. And your body's going through healing. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and you don't get to talk to anybody yeah. other than your husband and yeah. then your yeah. baby yeah. who there's can't an do iso- anything. There's but an isolation cry. that, that mm-hmm. happens. Yeah. Even though we're all in our homes, like in the way our community functions, a lot of us are home with our kids. Mm-hmm. We're all home, isolated to ourselves. Yeah. And yeah. there's just so many ways that we can be mothering together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But even um acknowledging the fact that men can get postpartum depression and anxiety too. And so just to check in on our husbands and ask Mm -hmm. and see how they're doing with their new role as father and provider for now, like an extra Mm -hmm. little, very dependent baby. Right. And just to make sure that just because we may be doing mm -hmm. okay, see like if they're doing okay, Mm because there might be some thoughts that, that they're having and that just need to be talked through, worked out. And Mm -hmm. yeah, just keeping that in mind too. Was, Mm -hmm. I don't know how much you want to talk about John, like your husband's story, mm-hmm. but like, wh- how was it like for him to to leave you then with Logan and go back to work and like that whole transition too? Because mm-hmm. that's something where like, as a husband, you just don't have, you, you can't always be right beside your wife as she's going through all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's the challenge too. Like, you're talking about when we were still in the hospital. Well, or that we like when he came home, and when you went and you when you yeah, came home, he went like, back to work. yeah, because I mean, you had two parts of it. Yeah, that that more happened for us when Logan was still in the hospital. Mm. And it was this weird, like, I have I have to go build houses right now. Yeah, it's like, like, I don't want to. Yeah, like, our child's in the hospital. My wife is hanging on by a thread, if, if he's going to be honest. Right. And I'm going to go, like, pour some concrete today. Nothing, like, how does that make any that matters, sense? Yeah. Um, and I think that's where knowing what resources are available to you, which we didn't with, like, parental leave. I know it's not as commonly used in our circles like like Mm. maternity leave is, but for the fathers to be there to support Mm -hmm. um, knowing about sick leave options when your child is sick. I think knowing about those resources um, can be very helpful when things are feeling like there's a reason it felt like it it wasn't quite right Right, because his place was, but we didn't know how, like we had a mortgage to pay. We had Mm -hmm. right. Like he needs to go to work. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I guess I our think, community could do better, like just to step up to like, I don't mean, you know yeah. that this is available to you? Yeah. Or? I mean, like even, yeah. I mean, I'm sure people, if they knew it was a struggle, would be like, yeah, you know, people would move mountains to keep him at the yeah, hospital. Right. Exactly. But it's just, yeah, something but because it doesn't commonly about. happen. Yeah. People don't reach out for that help. Then, oh, well, I know mm-hmm. someone who's had to get in the hospital. He went to work. It was fine. Right. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Or it's been prayed off the pulpit like four times, four Sundays in a row. And you're like, well, I guess they're still there. But yeah. They must be coping because yeah. I haven't heard anything. And you're in yeah. your own little world as well. When you're living mm. in the hospital, especially if it's out of your own local community. Yeah. And you really get out of touch with reality. Mm-hmm. And you you just, okay, we got through today. That's great. Yeah. 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 No, there's a new day Try tomorrow. Again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, And I think that's where a lot of what I'm saying in this book and the message that I want to share is we need to be preparing these young couples for all of this. Mm-hmm. There's no way to yourself, you know, be ready for every little curveball that God might send you, but to hear these stories over the years and to have people share, you know, how they can say like, God was so good to us in this mm-hmm. or God provided for us. Well, how did he provide? Well, he provided for me in this person. Mm-hmm. Um, when I reached out to my doctor, he, you know, provided for me through that person. And, yeah. um, I was reminded of his grace through this scripture and really giving those tangible tools that were helpful on your journey. I think that is what is needed. 
And um, I think there's actually four parts to that preparation. Um, I think that. No, oh, that's, that's all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think there's four parts to the preparation and it starts with just being seeking that understanding, mm-hmm. um, actually seeking out other people's stories, you know, especially if you're a young woman, like, don't be afraid to, you know, go to your mom and say, Hey mom, like we're super excited, you know, to start to have a family when we get married. Like, mm-hmm. um, how was that experience for you? Mm-hmm. And maybe mom's not ready to share that story. Maybe she says, Oh yeah, it was good. And that you can't really push that because that's a boundary she might be setting. But um, then, you know, start letting the people know in your life, like, hey, I'm, I'm ready to hear these things. But I think for you to know, hey, like my cousin just got engaged or something mm-hmm. and um, being in relationship, deep, meaningful relationship with people, not just acquaintanceships mm-hmm. with people mm-hmm. and being like creating opportunities to share your story and say, hey, like, I really hope that um you know, God gives you the desires of your heart, but this was my experience. Right. Yeah. Um, so just know, like, you can always reach out to me, creating those safe spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, being honest about what was involved in our stories um, and not looking at this brokenness in the pursuit of children as the exception to the rule. I think right. so often it's, well, there's normal and then there's, oh man, like, oh, I can't believe, I'm glad I didn't have to yeah, go through right. that. Right, right. Yeah. But we have broken bodies in this broken world and we're in broken yeah. relationships. Like how All can there not be steps of this? Yeah. Journey, how right? can we not have brokenness in yeah, this yeah. pursuit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just think we can be doing better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was, yeah, I mean, we're getting pretty close to the end. I, I had a big question I wanted to ask. Yeah. While I was reading this book, I was, I'm considering like for especially for like newlywed couples that mm-hmm. the 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 expectation that they are going to start a family. I know yeah. I wrote it down for you and you may have That's a big good. answer for it, which is good. I I'm curious that like I find that that expectation maybe expectation is the wrong word for this particular instance, but like mm-hmm. the hope and the desire for the family, mm-hmm. especially from a, a woman woman's perspective in our community, like I would say like most most women want it. And like, um, I find that that's like a really valuable thing in our community because the world is saying, well, you don't need a family. You can be, kids are a nuisance. You can go to school, you can do what, you know, whatever. You don't need kids to be fulfilled. And like, I find that that's still very well and alive in our, in our, like the children are so valued. Right. Yeah. And so like, would you, do you like, do you see kind of like a, a little bit of like a disconnect there. Like if we, mm. you know, we're not discouraging people from, in, you know, desiring children, but be realistic, but yeah. Do you, yeah. Will that like realistic kind of viewpoint, like discourage people from trying because they're scared of that or. Yeah. Like my intent is definitely not to instill fear. It's to create a context mm. and understanding. Like God gives us our context in Genesis three or 16 you know, the woman will have pain in childbearing. Mm-hmm. That's not, Hey, when you give birth, it's going to hurt. Just every, mm-hmm. that is when you, when God says no to children, it's going to mm-hmm. hurt. Mm-hmm. When you lose a child that you have never met, that's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. When you motherhood is, you know, not what you expected and you, you're really struggling to find joy in it. That's going to hurt. And it just spans because we're like, we're emotional, we're intellectual, we're physical people. So that pain is going to touch those areas of our life. Mm-hmm. And I think, it's more the emphasis that we put on motherhood. I think so at one time 
So for myself, I'm holding many identities at one time, right? Mm. I am a white Christian woman who's married. I'm a mother. I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. I'm all of these things. And God has called me to all of these things at one time. And somewhere along the way, like the identity of mother, it is so sacred and so important and valuable, but it isn't. And there's priorities, right, of your roles, Mm. but the value and your calling to that in God's kingdom is not more valuable than the other callings that Mm -hmm. you've been given. So for Mm. the woman who doesn't have children, um, because they're called to something else, they're called to be a daughter, a sister, and, you know, in in their work, all those things, those are all just as valuable as the motherhood. And I think it's this extra value that we've subconsciously, uh, maybe even in practice, put on the motherhood. Mm. And I think maybe even just in how we speak with each other that, um, you know, motherhood is this end all be all. I know our pastor has an amazing sermon on this. I should have looked up what the title was. (laughs) Um, And he talks about how, you know, motherhood isn't for the sake of motherhood, just like marriage Mm -hmm. is for the sake of marriage is for the sake of God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just like, like, so for us, um, it's still a challenge that we weren't able to have more children. Um, But this calling to, um, yeah, find purpose and fulfillment in other areas as well as motherhood mm-hmm. is for the sake of his kingdom, just as much as my yeah. calling is to as a mother. And mm-hmm. I think it's that those identities all having that value mm-hmm. um, in God's kingdom and not just motherhood. I think we place that expectation on women, maybe yeah. sometimes a little too strong. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I, that's like, <laughs> that's a great summary. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like that, I think your book will bless a lot of people like, in this discussion is something that we definitely should, you know, open should be up. open up and stuff. So, um, yeah, maybe like share, like if there's anything else, otherwise share like where people can find your book, sure. how people can get in touch with you. Cause I'm sure people are like, yeah, away, I am yeah. struggling. Sarah, help me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like how can people yeah. find your book? And once yeah, I, so I just want to say like, I'm no expert on this. This is just my experience, but I do hope that by, sharing so many specifics about our story, it will encourage others to share with the people that they're close with. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not for everybody to share in the public forum. And I pray that anyone who reads it is reading it for the sake of finding understanding that they can come alongside somebody mm-hmm. and help them. Um, it's not for the sake of knowing, you know, what we've been through because yeah. it's just one story of so many. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the book, it comes out October 9th. So this podcast might not have dropped by October 9th, but <laughs> yeah, so it might be out by the time it drops. <laughs> probably be already out. <laughs> but so. that's good because then you can go and listen and then buy it. <laughs> yeah, there you, you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's on Amazon. Perfect. So Perfect. just Google unmet expectations and you'll find it. Um, yeah. yeah. And I hope it's a blessing to anyone who reads it um, and helps kind of perpetuate this Yourself. conversation that we were able to have. Yeah. And even like, thank you for sharing your portion of your story as well. I feel like I've learned so much more just by hearing your experience mm-hmm. with it too. And just like, I already thought I was, you know, a little more empathetic to the people. It's like, Oh, I went through it too, but definitely. Yeah. Opens it. Yeah. Definitely yeah. opens your eyes for sure. Yeah. Way yeah. more. It's much I'm appreciated. Yeah. yeah. Is there anywhere people can get in touch with you? Like you on social media or like something that. Yeah. So can... social media, it's echoes of my heart. So it's at echoes. O M H. Okay. Yeah. And, um, otherwise you can email me at echo or echoes dot om heart at gmail.com there you go um yeah there you go <laughs> there you have it so yeah and yeah check sarah out yeah. and buy her book because yeah it's uh yeah it's something that um should be read and should be talked about so yeah
thanks for coming on. Thank this you for was, having uh, me. This I was really great. Appreciate yeah. it. I hope it was less nerve wracking than you thought it was. You know what? Once we started, it was great. So. It all went away. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. Good. You get nervous, and then it's all good. So and thanks, Kel, for coming on and co-hosting. Because uh, yeah. No yeah, I mean, this is a conversation yeah. for women. You know, I was thankful but, to have another woman yeah. in the room for this conversation. Yeah. Even though you said Lucas didn't want to, <laughs> Lucas, this is good things for you to know yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you know what? It. He would have done very well and yeah. done his absolute best. Yeah. So, yeah. So appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Thanks everyone. for having me. Thanks everyone for listening. Keep having real conversations. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. You can send us your feedback by emailing us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. You can find us on social media by looking for the handle Reformed Real Talk. You can find us online by going to realtalkpodcast.ca. We look forward to your feedback as that's what helps us grow and improve as podcasters. Real Talk is produced by myself, Lucas Holfleur, Tyler Vanderwood, and Tim Van Woodenberg. The theme music was created by Calvin Hutton. The table and cabinet behind me were made by Ethan Vanderwood of Eureka Woods. And finally, this sign in the studio was made by Zebra Signs. That's it for now, folks. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.